Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is John Kasman from Kasman Capital Group. Welcome back, John. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. Sure, sure, John. Little bit about John. Uh, John John Kasman launched Kasman Capital Group to help busy professionals invest in real estate without taking on a second job. Uh, they have helped families invest in close to 90 million, maybe now more than 90 million in multifamily apartments to create passive income, reduce their tax obligation and foster generational wealth. Jan hosts the Target Market Insights Multifamily Marketing Podcast. In addition, he is the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. As a former marketing executive, John oversaw a marketing campaign for General Motors, PepsiCo, and Miller Coors. So with that, John, you want to add anything to your background? Hey, man, just to clarify a couple of things, uh, the podcast has been uh, rebranded to Multifamily Insights. So if you are looking to find that show, it's Multifamily Insights, wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, we are up over $100 million worth of apartments that we have invested in alongside of all of our busy professionals. Got it. Got it. Thank you very much. Uh, share a bit more about your podcast, Multifamily Insights. What exactly is it about? Yeah, man. So we uh, just eclipsed 400 episodes and uh, we've been doing this show for a little more than four years, I think almost five years now and uh, really excited for you know what we've been able to do up to this point. But we really talk to other professionals in the real estate space, uh, as well as other professionals who can just help investors in multifamily. So everything from finding the best places to invest, what to look for, adjusting your strategy for different time frames. You know, as we're recording this right now, interest rates are are moving moving up and inflation is really high. So how are operators changing their numbers or changing their strategies to account for that? So just getting that kind of information, as well as some of the best marketing tactics that help investors be better, how to find deals, how to grow your investor database, how to you know build a personal brand so you can actually do more deals. So kind of all of those things are topics we cover in the Multifamily Insights podcast. Got it. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. So, and uh, I, I think during our offline conversation mentioned, you purchased around 20 million within 100 days. So would, would you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, we're always on the hunt for deals and sometimes deals can can hit at once and it's a great thing, but it also creates a new challenge. So uh, in 2019 or really going back to 2020, um, we didn't do a deal. You know, the pandemic kind of came out in, in March and uh, we kind of stood back and kind of watched to see what was going to happen in the marketplace. And as we got more comfortable, we started getting more assertive with our actions again. But the net is we really didn't buy a property in 2020. So in 2021, we wanted to change that and we ramped up a lot of our initiatives and we got two deals that we ended up closing back to back within 100 days worth over 20 or worth right around 20 million dollars. So uh, that was a lot of hard work, but also a challenge because we went from not really presenting a deal to investors in over a year to presenting two deals back to back. 
uh, in that short time frame. So we had to do a lot of different things and spread out the deals. One of the deals we we made a 506B deal, B as in boy. So that was the first deal. And then a second deal was a C as in Charlie. But we also wanted to make sure we didn't do any advertising or marketing until that first deal was completely filled up just so we didn't run into any potential issues there. So a lot of lessons there, but one of the things that it helped us to do is also make sure that we were focused on the people who we were trying to help, talking to investors, getting our name out there and connecting with other people who are looking to invest and really helping us to you know, tweak and modify some of our systems and processes so we can be more efficient and effective moving forward. Got it. So, and you mentioned like the so one deal is final six, another one is final 60. Uh, how many days you have different days for closing in between for both the deals? Yeah, I mean, the timeframes changed. That first deal, we were uh, initially pursuing a HUD loan. The property was under a HUD loan. We looked into assuming that existing HUD loan and uh, the numbers just didn't work out as well. But the sellers were comfortable if we took our time to pursue a new HUD loan. So that's where we started. We worked with their lender and their HUD lender. So that was a process and that really took a long time. And that HUD process can be pretty laborious if you're not familiar with it. Uh, They basically make you do a bunch of stuff and then it's a hurry up and wait situation. So we were in this wait phase for maybe four or five months. And then finally someone started digging into into all of the, the paperwork and um, they they point out a couple of things that were going to be an issue with the process. So we had to pivot from that HUD loan into um, a different type of loan product. So that kind of changed it and delayed it. So um, the deal that was the second deal, we thought we had time because we, we assumed we were going to close that first deal much earlier. Well, that second deal, uh, we ended up having to close both of them much closer together. So, uh, like I said, it was about a you know ninety some days in between closing both of those projects. Got it, got it. So yeah, definitely. If one one deal is final six B, another one is final six C, it's it's a bit challenging. How exactly you you know avoided that conflict or you know uh, risk? Yeah, and for for listeners who are hearing that, you know, five hundred six B is in boy. That's the provision that allows you to, um, you know, accept investments from non-accredited investors as long as they're sophisticated. And then C is in Charlie. Um, the investors have to be accredited, but you do not have to have like a pre-existing relationship or make sure that you've talked to them multiple times or things like that. So you can advertise and market on a C deal, but we didn't want to, while we weren't doing it, we didn't want to even have the appearance of a bait and switch kind of situation. So we didn't start marketing or really pushing anything outside of our personal network until we actually had locked up that first uh, the first deal, which was the the 506B offering. So we kind of waited until that one was, you know, completely filled up and, and closed. And after that, we started to be a bit more vocal about that other opportunity. Got it. Got it. Thank you. So any other like, you know, best experience, best experiences during the closing of these two deals? I think the one thing I would tell your listeners is, and this helped us really in retrospect, is you want to make sure you're doing everything you can to engage your investor database. Uh, if you're a passive investor, you know, make sure you're reaching out to anybody you want to invest with. Uh, but if you're an active investor and you're looking to raise money for deals, you have to talk to people because their situation changes. Um, they may not like a specific deal for various reasons. And you just have to stay in front of them. Um, the other thing I would say is there is a psychology to investing that you should learn a little bit more about. For instance, 
when you're talking to people, you want to lay out, you know, what you like about the deal, but you also want to point out anything that could be a concern. So that person is empowered to take the facts, make an informed decision and decide what's what's right for them and their investing goals. So that's something we always try to do. But I think the more conversations we have with investors, the more we can let them know how we're looking at things and what we see in the marketplace or what we see with this deal in our business plan. Uh, then the process becomes a little easier for all parties to understand and make a final decision. Got it. Got it. So would you also share any challenging experiences? You know, I, I think just the the challenge was really getting all the paperwork together um, over such a tight time frame because there was a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, again, with the lender, a lot of requirements that they were looking for, two completely different uh, loans. Again, we went from pursuing a HUD loan to flipping to, you know, this this bridge loan product. So we had to send a lot of documents multiple times and go through all that. So I think the biggest thing is just really understand what are the requirements lenders looking for um, as we're in this current environment. Those requirements are changing, you know, maybe, you know, three to six months ago. Uh, lenders were looking for 75 to 80 percent LTV loan value. Now it's more like 65 to 75, maybe 65 to 70 percent LTV. So those things are really important when you're underwriting a deal or putting in your offer. So you understand what the lender is looking for. So just get that clarity up front and then stay close to your lender throughout that whole process. Got it. So your, your deals have uh, agency deals, right? We have an agency debt on one of the deals. We have a bridge loan on another. And then honestly, on every single deal, we look at the deal itself, the business plan, the market, and we determine what loan product is best. And I think it's really, you know, interesting approach that I know a lot of people have a philosophy to say, hey, we either like this or we like that. But I think every deal is different. And you really do have to look at that deal, that property, that market and determine what is the best business plan and what's the best loan product for that business plan to make sure that you are making sound decisions and you're not just rinsing and repeating because you've always done it a certain way. Got it. Yeah, I totally agree on that one. Solid point. And you mentioned uh, in your podcast, you discuss with current market trends, all this stuff. So what's your uh, take on current market situation, John? Well, I mean, the market is always fluid. So I think depending on what time you're listening to this, the market may be a little bit different. But, you know, in this case right now, we are starting to see the impact of kind of the COVID relief funds, right? We're seeing interest rates starting to kick up. We're seeing inflation kicking in pretty high. Um, Demand from an investor or buyer standpoint still remains really high. Uh, the challenges, again, from a lender standpoint, you know, I think the lenders are changing some of their terms and that's making it a little bit more problematic to align on deals that work for both the buyer and the seller. So, I mean, if you recall really prior to COVID, we were in a tight market in a tight economy where it was harder for folks to find deals, harder for folks to, you know, get numbers that work for both parties and the, the ease of capital, helped people get deals done. But as the cost of capital goes up and the access to capital tightens up, sellers, as particularly the multifamily space, uh, if you've got a good cash flowing property, you know, maybe you're not as willing to sell for a discount today. So I think that's one of those things where we're continuing to monitor it. We're seeing where the interest is. And, uh, you know, adjusting our strategies appropriately. Got it. So what's your take on multifamily space next 12 to 18 months? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I'm still really bullish on it. You know, the fundamentals for multifamily from a demand standpoint have not changed. Um, if you think about, you know, uh, the last recession, last economic recession back in 2008, 2009, you know, lending was extremely tight. You had a lot of people who were upside down on their properties. Um, and, and that caused a lot of issues. And there was a lot of layoffs with jobs and the economy overall. Um, retracted. I think in this case, you know, we have a lot of job openings where people are having a hard time finding employees. We're seeing a pay payroll and, and pay in general go up. We're seeing that, you know, there's a lot of demand for employment at this current time. We're seeing inflation and rents go up as well. So I think the fundamentals tell you that there's a lot of demand in the marketplace uh, but again, there's been a lot of, you know, money pumped into the economy over the last couple of years. And I think that's what's throwing off some of the numbers. One thing that's really important for investors to keep in mind is that we are in a global economy and we've got the, the conflict in, in Ukraine and you have so many different elements impacting different investors across the globe. And those investors are still looking for secured places to park their capital in U.S. real estate. Is it's backed, it's secured, and it's something that is very attractive for many investors. So while we are looking at things like interest rates changing, these interest rates were at historic lows. So for them to come up, you know, 100 basis points or even 150 basis points, that's still a fairly low basis point, right? Or a fairly low interest rate in comparison to where they've been over the last 10, 15, 20 years. So I think some of that you just have to keep in mind in context that, um, there's still a lot of demand. And part of the reason they are looking to uh, push these interest rates is to slow down inflation and potentially, uh, you know, slow down kind of the overall expansion of the market. Got it. Yep. Thank you. And what, what is your current focus and what exactly you're planning for next 12 months or 18 months? Yeah, I mean, we plan to continue to look to to buy. I mean, we are we're always looking for deals and opportunities and we are looking to continue to scale our portfolio. We love the Midwest. Um, so you think about, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, Indianapolis, those growing markets we, we like a lot, but we also like the Southeast. So you think about, uh, again, the Carolinas, Georgia, uh, Florida, we like those markets as well. So we're continuing to look for opportunities in those markets and uh, look forward to, you know, finding more deals and continue to build our pipeline of uh, deals. Got it. Yeah. And what's your take on like cash flow versus appreciation kind of point of view? Uh, I mean, next to 12 months, or 18 months. Yeah, I think there's a great balance of both. You know, we're always looking for for both cash flow and appreciation. And that's why we focus on growth markets. You know, uh, I think to say it differently, you can find cash flow in markets where maybe there's zero appreciation. Uh, and if it is, it's it's only because of, you know, um, the historic rent bumps that have taken place over the last couple of years. But the market demand itself has not actually increased. So we like to find places where there's general demand. There's something taking place in that area that is generating more growth and more interest, both for renters and people moving there, but also for investors like myself. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to sell this property to someone who's willing to pay it for a higher price point than what we bought it for. So that's really important to think about the exit when you're buying these deals. And in the interim, we want to make sure that there's strong cash flow that can support us holding that property in the operations. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So would you share any books, any recent books that you read have impact on you? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it, uh, there are a lot of different books that I've read recently. Um, one of the things for me is uh, I like to think about, you know, the conversations I have with investors. And many of the investors we work with are busy professionals, whether they are doctors, engineers, lawyers, IT professionals, people in that realm. And I came from corporate America, right? So I used to be in marketing and advertising in corporate America. And one of the things that is a, is a challenge for most people is just trying to figure out putting all of the things they've got to get done, how can they scale their business, get into investing and make this work a little bit harder for them. And there's a book called Who Not How. That's a pretty popular book. But that book is really great because it really breaks down that, you know what, instead of trying to figure out how to do something and how to, you know, take on one more project or how to get started doing this thing, who can help you do that? Who Who's a person that you could tap into and they can facilitate the process for some of those things. So whether we're talking about multifamily investing um, or we're talking about uh, doing marketing or we're just talking about, you know, helping clean up around your house. Instead of you trying to make this long to do list of different tasks, who can help you do that and who can make your life a little bit easier in that, that realm? So that's something I think is a great book, just helping people think about how they can get a little bit more by leveraging the resources around us, because we all only have 24 hours in a day. And you can spend all those 24 hours if you want, but that's not sustainable. But if you could tap into and leverage other people and their expertise and the value they bring to the table, then I think you can get a little bit more. And that's part of why we do what we do, right? Partner with other people to invest in apartment buildings is they get a chance to tap into us and our network while we go out, hunt for deals and bring those opportunities to the table. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Who not how is an awesome book, a powerful book. And how can listeners can connect with you, John? Yeah, two ways. One, uh, check out the podcast. It's called Multifamily Insights. It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And the other way is if you are looking to be either an active investor or a passive investor in apartment deals, we have put together a sample deal package that can show you different things about deal structure and terminology and other things just to keep in mind as you're starting to look at opportunities. You can check that out at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. Awesome. And thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for sharing your time and experience. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back on the show. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.